Would it surprise you to hear me say that Jonah surviving three days in the belly of the whale or the great fish is not the greatest miracle recorded in the book of Jonah? Certainly the miracle of the whale surviving three days in the stomach of this great fish is a great miracle. But it's not the greatest. In chapter 3 of this book, we see, we read about the largest mass conversion ever recorded. If we were to look through some of the revivals throughout history... One of the common factors we would see in these revivals is there always seems to be a devout and charismatic preacher behind the revival. Since the time of the Reformation, we are able to connect particular revivals to the preaching of, for instance, John Knox, or John Wesley, or George Whitfield, or Jonathan Edwards. Read the biographies of these men and you will not be surprised by the impact that they made. These men were highly intelligent, immensely gifted, and unmatched in their zeal for the gospel. But then we read about Jonah. Who could have predicted that such positive results would come from his preaching. Jonah isn't exactly what you would call a zealous prophet. Jonah's biography is not nearly as impressive as that of his colleagues. And yet God uses him powerfully. Yes, God in his mercy uses a reluctant prophet to convert an entire city. If we read ahead to chapter 4, we would see a reference to more than 120,000 people living in Nineveh. Well, historians and theologians agree that this number, the 120,000, that's just a reference to the adults. And so if you factor in an average number of children per household you're looking at a city with nearly half a million people in it. Jonah chapter 3 begins with the words, The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. So we're about to witness the city of Nineveh get a second chance because of the preaching of a prophet who also received a second chance. It's interesting to note that when the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, it was the same word. It was the same word. Go to the great city of Nineveh. You would think that God might want to change his instructions given the fact that the first time he told Jonah to go to Nineveh, Jonah ran away. So you might think God would change his instructions, but the command stays exactly the same. God does not adjust to Jonah's ways, but thankfully Jonah adjusted to God's way. The first time Jonah is commissioned to go to Nineveh, he ran the other way. 
But now after receiving this commission for a second time, we read in verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. I think many of us can relate to Jonah's first response. Maybe I shouldn't universalize my own experience, but I suspect that you are a bit like me and that you can call upon in your mind a time when you ran away from the Lord. That there is a time in your life when you resisted His call to you. But then we read Jonah chapter 2. And we take note of the kind of measures that God employs to bring Jonah back. And while God may not have pursued any of us with a giant whale, many of us have had the experience of God using a significant life event to bring us back to Him. God uses big things, not necessarily whales, but He often uses big circumstances as as a kind of a, a megaphone to get our attention. One theologian has said that pain is God's megaphone to call you back to Him. For some of you, that explains why you're here this morning. You ran from God. You tried to get away from Him. You resisted Him. But He went after you. And He pursued you. And now you find yourself in a position this morning to hear a word from the Lord and a chance to respond to it. When Jonah received a second chance from the Lord and when he obeyed the command to go and preach to the, to the Ninevites, the Lord did an awesome thing. He turned an entire city around. Well, what about you? If Christ has redeemed you, if Christ has given you a second chance, are you willing to proclaim the word of the Lord to others? As I ask you this, there might be some of you here this morning who are thinking, Well, Pastor, isn't that your job? Why are you telling me to proclaim the word of the Lord to others? Isn't that what we pay you to do? Well, just as God commissioned prophets to proclaim His word in the first covenant, I admit that God has ordained certain offices He has commissioned pastors and teachers to do the same in the New Covenant. Yes, it is true that God has appointed certain officers to fulfill certain tasks. But as I read the final instructions that Jesus gives, I get the distinct impression that Jesus gives these instructions for every single one of His followers. What does He say? He says, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now that instruction does not mean you all need to sign up to be an overseas missionary. That command, those instructions do not mean that you have to enter seminary and become a pastor. It does not necessarily mean that you even need to teach in some formal context. 
It's not necessarily saying those things. But if the word of the Lord has come to you and has come to me, what it requires is that those of us who have become disciples of Christ, that we would go and make disciples of Christ. You might summarize the entire New Testament with that that phrasing. That those of us who have become disciples of Christ, that we would go and make disciples of Christ. And I know some of you are still reluctant. But you're in good company. But bear in mind Jonah who shared your reluctance finally yielded to the will of the Lord. Jonah finally came around. He finally got it. He eventually overcame his reluctance and his fear. And as a result, nearly half a million people repented and turned to the Lord. I want you to imagine with me what might happen, what God might do if each of us overcame our reluctance and our fear to share the gospel message with others. We might not see the conversion of an entire city, but perhaps we would witness the conversion of a family member. We might not see the conversion of this entire island, but perhaps we would see conversions within our circle of friends. Perhaps we would see conversions with those we work with, those who are our colleagues. Dear friends, the word of the Lord has come to you this morning in the book of Jonah. And like Jonah, we're confronted with a choice. And we have two basic options. We can ignore the call, we can run away, we can resist the call. Or we can go and share the gospel message with other people. And in our reluctance to go, we might want to bear in mind that when Jonah disobeyed the Lord, he ended up getting thrown off of a ship, was treading water in the Mediterranean Sea, and was swallowed by a great fish. But when he obeyed the Lord, Nearly half a million people were spared incalculable physical and spiritual harm. The choice should be easy. Run from God in His call or obey Him and go. I realize for some of you sharing your faith in Jesus Christ is a terrifying prospect for you. But the good news is it doesn't have to be this way. Sharing your faith ought not to be a terrifying thing. It ought not to be a complex exercise. It's a rather simple exercise. And what we find in Jonah are three principles that should make sharing the gospel with others more accessible. You don't need to go to seminary. You don't need to occupy a pulpit. If you you implement these three principles, you will be helped to share your faith with others. And the first principle I see in Jonah 3 
is we need to proclaim what the Lord has said. We need to proclaim what the Lord has said. You see, Jonah did not make up his message from his own experience. Jonah did not walk into Nineveh and give his testimony. Jonah shared with the Ninevites exactly what God had put upon him. He gave them the word of the Lord. That's what he proclaimed. And so when we share our faith with others, our focus should not be on what we've experienced. As legitimate and as important our experiences are to us, that's not the primary way you share your faith. Rather than focus on your experiences, focus on what God has said. What He has said in His Word. Because I've watched many well-meaning people run into serious problems when you try to share your faith by talking about your experience of God. For example, what are you going to do when you share your experience of coming to God and relating to God and the person you're speaking to counters that by giving the total opposite of your experience? How do you know which experience is more valid? You can't. Because you'll run into those whose experience contradicts yours. As a result, when you witness to others, we must follow the example of Jonah. And we must proclaim what the Lord has said in His Word. That's the first principle. The second principle we learn from Jonah's mission to Nineveh is, and I love this, keep the message simple. Keep the message simple. We don't know all that Jonah communicated with the Ninevites. What we have here in chapter 3 is a kind of a summary statement of what he would have said to them. But even if we base our impression of Jonah's message on what we know, we might say that Jonah's message, it's not impressive. It's not impressive from the standpoint that he doesn't seem to have any persuasive argument. There's no clever line of reasoning here. In the same way, you might say that the Christian message, the Christian message may appear unimpressive to others. And I would, be, I would readily admit that the gospel borders on simplistic. We ought not to be afraid of this. The gospel of Jesus Christ borders on simplistic. We can't run away from that. And yet the simplicity of the message lends itself to being easily transmitted. Easily passed on. Because the gospel is simple to understand, it is simple to pass on. Our message is that Jesus died for our sins. And that He promises that all who turn to Him in faith will have everlasting life. How is it that Jonah's simple message could convert half a million people? How does the simple gospel message affect fundamental change in the life of a hearer? It must be as the Apostle Paul tells the Romans. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. 
It's an awesome thing that the words in this book, and again, we stand at the beginning of service not because anyone important is coming through. We stand because the Word of God comes into the sanctuary. And we understand that these words have power. That's why the Ninevites were converted. The Word of God has power to change people. So keep it simple. The third principle we learn from Jonah's mission is that we need to be courageous. We need to be courageous. Remember, keep in mind, the people of Nineveh were enemies of the nation of Israel. And for many of us, if we were to talk about our reluctance to share the gospel, we would say that our reluctance is born out of a fear of rejection. We don't want our friends to go, whoa, what a weirdo. What's gotten into him? He's all religious now. Or, or she's taking her Bible too seriously. We have this fear of rejection from those we care about that causes us to, to not share the gospel. But I want us to see that Jonah wasn't simply risking rejection by preaching to the people of Nineveh. He was risking his life. He could have been killed for what he was proclaiming. By contrast to Jonah's call, the Bahamas might be one of the safest places on earth to share the gospel. We live in a nation that embraces Jesus Christ. This is the safest place on earth to share the gospel. You're not being asked to go share the gospel in Baghdad or Kabul or, or Tehran. You're being asked to share the gospel here. To your friends, to your family, to your colleagues. Jonah was called to preach to his enemies. And preaching to Israel's enemies was nothing short of courageous. In Jonah's example, Jonah's success in preaching to enemies should inspire us and motivate us that if we do what God says, if we say, if we repeat what He has said, if we keep it simple, if we courageously put ourselves out there, we will succeed because the gospel succeeds. So what happened? Jonah did these things and the people of Nineveh believed in God said they started to repent. Mass repentance. Everybody's taking off their nice clothes and they're putting on sackcloth. Even the king got into this. Everybody was into this. Everyone wanted to repent. Everyone went through the exercise. Everyone urgently called upon God. And what did God do? When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and he did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. This is remarkable. This is remarkable. This revival of half a million people is initiated by a prophet who, who was running away from the Lord. He was reluctant. He was fearful. He was disobedient. But he changes. He's given a second chance and he changes. The people of Nineveh are given a second chance and they change. Let me ask you this morning. Do 
Do you know anyone who needs a second chance from God? Do you know someone who has turned away from God? Someone who is just doing their own thing? Of course you do. We all do. But some will say, well, it's really none of my business what other people choose to do with my life. But can you imagine if Jonah said this? God says, Jonah, I'm calling you to preach to the Ninevites. Can you imagine Jonah saying, But Lord, I really don't think it's any of my business what the Ninevites are doing. That response isn't going to fly. Cue the giant fish, swallow Jonah. Can you imagine the disciples responding to Jesus' commission in this way? Go into all the nations and make disciples. But Lord, these people are settled in their belief systems. They all have worldviews, and and we don't think it's right to impose our belief system or our worldview on their worldview. Can you imagine the disciples saying that to Jesus? I'm fully aware that it's neither popular nor politically correct to share the gospel with others. But these aren't the relevant issues. The more pressing question to ask is what does God require? What does God want me to do? That is the most important question to ask oneself. What does God want from me? What does He expect from me? To this, the Bible gives a clear answer. Jesus says, make disciples. Paul says, Preach the word. And if a reluctant prophet like Jonah can do this, so can you. And the reason we can do this is because the message we're given has power. We might stumble with our own words. We might struggle to counter sophisticated arguments that are objections to the Christian gospel. But if we courageously convey in a simple manner what God has said, we have every reason to believe that the message will be effective. The story of Jonah shows us what is possible when we share a message that God has powered. And sharing the message might just mean salvation for a member of your own household. It might mean salvation for a beloved friend or neighbor. The word of the Lord has come to you. Not just to Jonah, not just to Micah, not just to Haggai, not just to Jeremiah. The word of the Lord has come to you. The gospel of Jesus Christ has come to you. And you've been entrusted with sharing that message with others. Do you ever imagine God initiating great renewal and revival in this country? Because I do. As I think about Nineveh's mass repentance, as I think about how they turn from their wicked ways, I think this can be done here. God's power is as strong today as it ever has been. 
His word is, is still the power of God unto salvation. If God means to start a revival in the Bahamas, if he means to start a revival in Nassau, I want to be a part of that. I want us to be a part of that. Share the word of the Lord. Keep it simple. Be courageous. In Jesus' name. Amen.